The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of Falato on Football, Big Blue View's holistic show about the National Football League hosted by me, Nick Falato. Throughout this podcast, I'll be giving my unique opinions on the various happenings of the NFL. It'll mostly be me pontificating about the sport that we all love so much, obviously, football. I mean, let's look at the Big Blue View podcast stream. It already has Valentine's Views and the Chris and Joe Show, both excellent shows. But now, I have the absolute pleasure of hosting this show and Falato's Fantasy Corner, which will be dropping on Fridays. So if you're into fantasy football, please tune in. This week, we'll be discussing five of the top 10 fantasy football rules to know kind of going into the draft season, which is right upon us if you really think about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. But without further ado, here on Big Blue View, let's discuss some recent league news. Our great friends, whom the Giants share a stadium with, the Jets, they just recently shipped out one of their best players. We all know Jamal Adams and oh, Jamal, Jamal, Jamal. In my honest opinion, Adams is by far and away one of the most dynamic hybrid-type second-level defenders in the league. Sadly, we as Giants fans kind of know this from first-hand experience due to Jamal essentially being the key ingredient to why the Jets beat Big Blue last season. And the trade, think about it, kind of shocked a lot of people in the football world. And I can see why. Adams was making it damn well known that he did not want to be in New York. He threw his coach under the proverbial bus, was unhappy about his contract situation despite having two more years under Jets control, and he fired off on social media painting the new Jets general manager Joe Douglas in such a negative light. I mean, seriously, if you think about it, the Jets were a plane, which, I mean, technically they are, flying in the sky, and Jamal was a passenger, he would have done his best Shepard impersonation and just screamed Geronimo as he launched himself into the ether. He didn't want to be there. Everyone knew it, which usually means that the leverage of the team that's trading him diminishes. But that's not how John Schneider and the Seahawks handled that whatsoever. Real though, man, you think about it, it wasn't long ago when Joe Douglas stated that he wanted to make Jamal a Jet for life, and the two sides were reportedly negotiating on a long-term contract. And once that deal didn't surface... Adams became very frustrated, and despite the fact that he had literally no leverage in the negotiations because of the fifth-year option, he still went out and he tried to basically get himself traded away from the New York Jets. And like most of the millennial and Gen Z population, Adams took to Twitter to air his grievances, and by mid-June he requested a trade. And it didn't take long after he called out his coach, Adam Gase, 
and said that he felt Gase wasn't the right coach for the team, and that prompted the Jets to send the star player to Seattle. And Adam Gase has his faults. I'm not saying that he doesn't. It seemed like he graded a lot of personalities down there in Miami, and they were really happy when he ended up leaving the team. (laughs) And it was even funnier to them when their division rival, the New York Jets, hired Gase. But the way he handled Jay Ajayi, sent him up to Philadelphia, and then Jay Ajayi gets rewarded in 2017 by getting a ring. I know for Giants fans, it's really sad about that. I'm really sad about the fact that the Eagles ended up getting the W in the Super Bowl category. But still, they still have a lot of catching up to do when it comes to the New York Giants. But Gase has a lot of faults. Seems like he didn't use his personnel to the, the best of their ability last year, especially when you look at guys like Lev Bell, but their offensive line was a wreck. Sam Darnold started off the year making out with whoever in the greater Morristown area and caught mono, which forced players like Trevor Simeon into the lineup. And the Jets kind of fell apart early on, but they bounced back strong in the end of the season. A lot of people don't want to acknowledge that, but they did play hard down the stretch of that season last year. Of course, wish the Giants played the Jets earlier in the year when they didn't have Sam Darnold and their team was a wreck, but that's not the way the schedule materialized. Anyways, back to Jamal Adams. Amazing player. He finished his Jets career with 273 total tackles, 28 for a loss, 12 sacks, 6 forced fumbles, 25 passes defensed, and 2 interceptions in his 3 seasons of play. He was also a 2-time Pro Bowler and has one first team All-Pro season, which was in 2019, and one second all-Pro season, which was in 2018. And there was a ton of negative press around Adams. But the Jets, to the credit, were able to acquire maximum compensation for sending their disgruntled best player out of town, which doesn't always happen. It really doesn't. When you look at these these high-profile guys who demand trades, every team in the NFL looks at them and says, well, I'm not going to give up this haul because this player wants to leave. So why am I going to overspend for a player who doesn't want to be in the place that's trading him? The Jets lose all the leverage in that situation, but they didn't when you look at the end of this trade. I mean, the Jets got a solid overhang defender in Bradley McDougal. He can also play the slot pretty well. He did that somewhat, but he played mostly overhang, played some free safety, according to Pro Football Focus. And they also got two number one draft picks, 2021 and 2022s and a 2022 third-round pick while also shipping a 2022 fourth-round pick to Seattle. So the Jets made out like bandits in this trade, and good for them. Because it's unfortunate being a Jets fan right now, but Mike McCagnan's not there anymore. You have Joe Douglas in the building. Joe Douglas comes from the Ravens, comes from stable organizations. And you have to analyze him on the merits of what he does. You don't have to look at the Jets as the tire fire that they are. So you got to look at this general manager who just got this job this offseason and analyze him from what he does forward. And the way he handled a disgruntled player who really did not want to be a New York Jet, and he's able to get all this compensation for it. I mean, you got to applaud that, in my opinion. That's a massive haul for a player that everyone knew was getting traded out of New York. It seems to be a much more commonplace in the NFL for first-round picks to be traded, and sometimes multiple first-round picks. I mean, just look recently in this offseason. The Bills got Steph Diggs, or a one from Minnesota. Odell went to the Browns and the Giants last season. When you think about the haul that the Giants got, they end up getting Jabril Peppers, who could be a foundational piece to this defense. You get a one, which was the 17th overall pick, and a three. And you get O'Shane Zimenez, somebody who is a pass rusher who needs to be a little bit better against the run, but he has a lot of pass rushing upside as of right now. 
somebody who can hopefully grow with the defense and hopefully can rise this season to be a much better pass rusher than what the Giants currently have. And then you get Dexter Lawrence, who is was underrated, I would say, going into the draft process, and he definitely made his presence known early and often in his rookie campaign. So when you look at that, you got all of that for this diva wide receiver who is injury-prone. I mean, Odell is a transcendent talent, don't get me wrong, but didn't seem like he wanted to be with the Giants last season either. The Giants were able to capitalize there, especially when you look at Antonio Brown. They did not get nearly the compensation the Raiders did not get nearly the compensation that the Steelers got for him. Granted, much different cases. Antonio Brown was a much different case than Odell. They're both wide receivers. I get it, but Odell was not not as disruptive as Antonio Brown. We saw that play out, and he never even ended up playing a snap for the Raiders, which was just ridiculous. But we even have other other trades too. We saw Jalen Ramsey traded for two ones, Laramie Tunsil for two ones and a two, Khalil Mack for two ones. If we go back even further, Keyshawn Johnson, Eric Dickerson. But we've seen some high draft capital be traded for star players recently. It's been more relevant now in the NFL than I guess it was. Granted, there were, as I just alluded to, other trades like that in the past. And you can go on Herschel Walker and talk about guys like that, which were just kind of asinine trades, but it was what it was. And then we see Bill O'Brien trade DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals, and he fails to get a one and absorbs David Johnson's contract. Yeah. Don't let personal vendettas, everybody, get into the way of football operations. It's not that smart. But Bill O'Brien has done donkey things before. I don't consider the Laramie Tunsil thing necessarily a donkey move because you needed to get somebody to protect Deshaun Watson, your future star. And Laramie Tunsil was available. And he's a very talented left tackle in the NFL. So I don't really hold that against him. But that DeAndre Hopkins trade, especially when you see what Steph Diggs got and you see some of these other movements, yeah, that's pretty donkey, Bill O'Brien. But this does beg the question about trading this much draft capital for a player like Jamal Adams. I mean, he often gets labeled, oh, he's just a box safety. And I understand the rhetoric, yes. He doesn't have the elite range that someone like Ed Reed has. And that range that is really, really hard to come by, it's very, very rare. There's just not a lot of them in the NFL, and you could find a lot more, quote-unquote, just box safeties coming out of college than you can those rangy, single-high type safeties. But labeling Jamal as just a box safety, to me, is disingenuous just because the addition of Adams to the Seahawks in this winning window does a lot for that defense. Do I think the Seahawks overpaid? Yes. Yes, I do. Especially if the antics of Jamal Adams carry to the West Coast. But Seahawks general manager John Schneider had to make a move to compete in a division that is arguably the best division in football, the NFC West. In the last eight years, Seattle has only missed the playoffs one time. And the division has gotten significantly better in the last couple of years. The 49ers were just in the Super Bowl. The Rams the year before that. Cliff Kingsbury comes into Arizona. He's going to have his second season with Kyler Murray in his second season in that system. An incredibly young, exciting player. Very, very athletic. Somebody you're going to need to chase down, Kyler Murray. You need to have a plan for him. The division consists of guys like Murray on the Cardinals, George Kittle on the 49ers, that potent rushing attack that the 49ers possess. Upgrading at the safety position gives defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr. a lot of flexibility, and it puts the onus on a competent and versatile player like Adams to fit the run, be a force defender, blitz reliably, and cover. 
The upgrade of Adams from McDougal will allow the Seahawks to play a lot more cover three buzz. And what I mean by that is, if you think back, Seattle ran a ton of buzz with Cam Chancellor, which basically means that Adams is going to drop between the apex and the overhang defender, I say on the open side, the weak side of the formation, which will enable him to eliminate any in-breaking routes from the backside number one. You can play a robber type of role in that situation. And on the front side of the formation, any drag or underneath routes from that strong side, he can disrupt. He'll also be used near the line of scrimmage and as a linebacker, which will allow the Seahawks to use more dime dollar personnel, which can come in handy against teams that use a ton of, let's say, four wide sets. Teams maybe like Arizona? Hmm. That makes sense from that perspective, right? And then think about Seattle's nickel package. Possibly now, you can run that nickel package and use someone like Adams as a linebacker to add more speed yet not compromise your run defense. You could even take somebody like maybe KJ Wright off the field, somebody who's a very skilled linebacker, but say you want to go with speed because George Kittle's out there or something along those lines or some speedy type of tight end that you're going to need a more coverage guy to cover him instead of a linebacker who may be a liability. You can make those subs, and you can run that nickel package with Bobby Wagner and Jamal as the two quote-unquote linebackers. And then insert another defensive back in for speed. Adams allows you to do that because he is versatile. Now, Adams only has two career interceptions. He's not a pick magnet by any means, but he can still cover. He's still very athletic. He doesn't have that range of a single high safety like I alluded to before, but he can do so many different things for a defense. I mean, Jamal, man, he can also drop into the nickel roll as that overhang. And then you look at guys like Quandre Diggs. He can do that as well. Diggs can play deep and Jamal can be the strong safety. And that would really replicate the Legion of Boom since Diggs is also a Texas guy like Earl Thomas. You also got Marquise Blair, somebody they added not that long ago in the draft. He's another player that can fix into the equation too. He can play deep and allow Jamal to roam the line of scrimmage with Diggs in the slot. There are a lot more options now. That Seattle can trust a player like Adams to do so many different things at a high level and they can stay in their defense of a cover three. And if you bring him in, that, that is Jamal, you can bring him into this. You get out of base personnel, your base personnel can become more of a nickel type of personnel, which is the more which is used like if you look at the NFL holistically, nickel personnel is used like 70% of the times on for a lot of teams. Base personnel of 3-4-4-3 is not as utilized with the proliferation of the passing game. You add somebody like Jamal Adams, get that upgrade of the hybrid second-level defender who can play the run. We talk about it a lot with the Giants. Now, we have those three safeties in New York Giants. You got Jabril Peppers, you got Julian Love, now you got Xavier McKinney. But Adams is a different breed than those guys, especially when you use him as a blitzer and when you use him near the line of scrimmage. The Giants know that all too well. And he's going to significantly help that defense, that defense that just lost Jadeveon Young Clowney, that defense that doesn't really have a pass rush, that defense that has spent high picks on a lot of players that have not really worked out. And the winning window for Seattle right now with Russ Wilson and Schneider, it's, it might not be as long as a lot of us expect, but adding Jamal Adams allows that team to compete in the now, which is something that they need to do in that division. Now, I honestly do not know if this is enough to get the team over the hump. Not to mention the Seahawks not only gave up the draft capital, but they also surrendered the opportunity cost of acquiring three different high-end draft selections who would be under team control for quite a while. And there's something about that. There has to be something to be said about that. 
But like I was just alluding to before, you add Jamal Adams now, and that really helps you in the window that they're in right now. But I look around that roster, there's not a lot of big-name guys. There's not a lot of big-name, quote-unquote, blue-chip prospect kind of guys, especially if you look at the defense. I think Shaq Griffin is a good player. The cornerback Shaq, not the—well, the outside linebacker is fine, but he isn't a blue-chip prospect at the moment. He's a fine rotational player. Obviously, you have Bobby Wagner, who's a complete stud. K.J. Wright, I think, is an underrated player in the NFL, but he's getting a little bit long in the tooth. But we've got to be kind of real. Seattle's cheeks at drafting in the first round, and they've been for quite a while. And look back the recent history. Jermaine Iafetti, Rashad Penny, L.J. Collier, Malik McDowell. For whatever reason, they just can't do well and find value in the first round. And the excuse that they're just late picks to me, that's a trash excuse. There's plenty of talent in the draft throughout the first round, into the second round, into the third round. To not consistently strike out, mismanage value, the Seattle tends to do all of those things. And I look at Rashard Penny. Back in 2018, I thought he was a good running back coming out of San Diego State. They run a really power brand football out there. So a lot of gap, a lot of pullers. And he's a good player. I thought he was like a third-round pick. I got the interview with Rashard Penny when I was down at the Senior Bowl that year. And I asked him actually a pretty funny question. I said, Rashard Penny, because everybody's asking all these football players these like crazy questions about football and X's and O's and all this stuff that they get asked so many times. You can go back to any interview and they've been asked the questions. I think it's unoriginal. So I wanted to have a little bit of fun with Rashard, who had a personality, seemed like a charismatic young man. So I asked him, Rashard, let me ask you something. He was like, yeah, what's up? And then I said, if you could be any mythical creature, what mythical creature would you be? And he stopped, and he evaluated the question, and he said, hmm. Then he asked me, let me name some mythical creatures. So I threw out a couple names, and then I said Pegasus, and he was like, oh, yo, I would be a Pegasus. And he was really adamant about it, and I thought that was really neat. I was like, look at him. He's having a lot of fun. He was smiling. He seemed really relaxed instead of asking all these uptight questions. So I like Rashard Benny. I had that little, that little interaction with him. But he was drafted at the end of the first round. And I thought he was more his third-round prospect, especially when you think about the running back position. I thought it was a pretty big reach. And he didn't end up having a lot of success early on. He ended up breaking his finger. And he obviously had the devastating injury last year, which you can't hold against him. But take a running back at that point, was uh, I was a bit dubious about that. And then last year, LJ Collier was the pick. And LJ Collier... I. In that year, 2019, I worked for the Reese's Senior Bowl as an intern. So my job was to be the the North team's defensive line, I guess they called it, captain. So basically my job was to ensure that every player that was on the North team and was a defensive lineman was where they needed to be when they needed to be there. And if they needed anything, I was the person to get to, to assist them. I was basically... Uh, a liaison for them so I got to know LJ a little bit and I thought he was a nice young man but I evaluated his play and felt he was probably like a fourth round prospect maybe a third and then I saw that he was picked in the first round and I was pretty shocked and I remember after my time at the senior bowl with these players I was like I wonder who my first player would be selected from my group and my group consisted of Zach Allen LJ Collier John Kaminsky Byron Cowart, Greg Gaines, Jalen Jelks, Colin Saunders, Charles Omenihue, Rennell Wren, 
And in my opinion, I was like, oh, Charles Humenehu will probably be the first pick. He had incredibly long arms. He's a very talented player. He ended up falling to like the sixth round. But he's the player who's made the biggest impact throughout his rookie season, that is, along with Colin Saunders, who was an amazing young man. He was a very respectful dude, and he just got a Super Bowl ring, so congratulations to him. But when I saw that LJ was the first one drafted, I was pretty shocked. I really was. I did not expect that to happen. But that's how the Seahawks kind of do it sometimes. They really surprise you with some of their picks. And they did with that 2019 pick. So you think about first-round picks in their mind. You know, they've swung and missed several times. I mean, Malik McDowell was their first round. Well, it wasn't first round, but was their first pick. I think it was like pick 35 or something like that. So it was the early second round. And I don't even know if he ever played a snap. He ended up getting into an ATV accident. And he ended up suing the team, and it was a whole mess. But I've heard, I remember scouting that year. I heard a lot of negative things about him going into the draft and his attitude and his commitment to football coming out of Michigan State. So I question a lot about what Seattle can do with their first-round picks. And maybe John Schneider and their scouting group looked and was like, hey, we haven't had success in the first round. We can get a guy we know is good. We don't need to develop. And it's not like they have an issue developing because they've nailed late-round picks throughout the years. But we or we can get a guy who can significantly change our defense and be a difference maker and be our best defensive player. So why not go out and get him? And they did. And that best defensive player compared with Bobby Wagner, who is one of the more underrated players in the NFL. So that's had to be the mindset from Seattle. Now... As for the Jets, I would be absolutely ecstatic if I was a Jets fan. This trade is going to help Joe Douglas hopefully lay a foundation of talent for the much maligned New York franchise that is the New York Jets. It's not his fault the team has been terrible at extracting value and retaining said value in the draft, but he was able to trade a pure malcontent in every sense of the word for two ones, a solid player, and a three. To me, that's an enormous win. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And losing Adams stinks. There's no doubt about it. But Greg Williams is a master at scheming pressure and utilizing X's and O's. He knows what he's doing. He's been around football for so many different years. And you think back, I mean, he's the bounty gate guy. He goes back a while. And that was back when he was with the Saints. Since then, he's been with how many teams? Been with the Rams, been with the Browns, now he's with the Jets. I mean, that loss of Jamal is going to be felt because he's such a talented player. But the team got a haul in the trade. And it's exactly what they needed since this roster has kind of been ugly. It's still unproven. You don't exactly know what's happening with Sam Darnold, which sucks. You know, it's not a good thing. But Sam Darnold has talent. He had talent coming out of USC. He had some footwork issues. But if he doesn't have time to throw the football, he's not going to be able to fix all of these issues. And the kid is still very, very young. And he's not surrounded with a lot. And people love to give trades immediate grades. But the true nature is the fact that we really won't know the outcome of this trade until it plays out. If Seattle wins the Super Bowl, then the trade was a success for this team. And it doesn't even matter. They could trade five first-round picks. If they are able to win a Super Bowl, it's a huge success. And if Joe Douglas nails the draft picks, then that's a success for the Jets. If he's able to get value and get blue chip prospects and lay that foundation, that's a success for the New York Jets. 
But if Seattle can't get over the hump and win that division and make a postseason run and Douglas pulls a pure McCagnan and drafts a bunch of Christian Hackenbergs, then that trade will look bad for all parties involved. All I know is good on the Jets. Hopefully they can stop saying, well, next year's will be different soon. And I know this trade doesn't really help that right now, but Douglas is playing of the long game. And that's wise, especially with the context of how Jamal handled his final few months in New York. Again, I don't necessarily think it gets them over the hump, and it was a lot, but I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. So if the Seattle Seahawks can do something about it, win the big game, then it's all worth it, baby. But they're going to have an uphill climb, as I like to say. Now, let us take a quick commercial break to hear a word from our lovely sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So there's a lot of unprecedented things going on in the NFL at the moment, obviously surrounding COVID-19. We have a lot of players opting out for health issues or because they feel that someone in their family may be compromised if they were to contract the virus. And we also have a lot of players being put on the reserve COVID list, which is a new implementation pushed by the NFL and the NFLPA. So... You've seen names like Matt Stafford be on this list. We've seen Gardner Minshew was just added to this list just to kind of go over some quarterbacks. But there are a lot of names that have been added to this list that we'll go over here in a little bit. But let me just uh, discuss the list itself. So there's two categories to the list. There's asymptomatic players and symptomatic players. So if you end up testing positive, like some of these players have, then you fall into either one of these categories. Obviously, asymptomatic means you do not have any symptoms, yet you are positive, and then symptomatic means you are suffering from some symptoms. You have the sniffles, what have you. So in order to get out of this list, these things have to happen. So for asymptomatic players, they cannot return until 10 days have passed since their initial positive test or five days have passed since initial positive test and two consecutive negative tests are completed separated by 24 hours within a five-day period. So say that I contract it, I'm asymptomatic, and I don't want to wait the 10 days, but two days later, I test negative, and then another 24 hours passes and I test again negative, then I can rejoin the team. The return, though, is approved by a team's physician after consulting with ICS and NFL's chief medical officer. So it's obviously a little bit easier to get back if you're asymptomatic because this is the symptomatic. Now, they can't return till 10 days have passed since first COVID-19 symptoms appeared. So they don't even have to test positive, but they start having the symptoms. they sneeze a little bit, get the sniffles, then they have to wait 10 days from there. And at least 72 hours have to pass since those symptoms last occurred. Return is also approved by team physician after consulting with ICS and NFL's chief medical officer. There's going to be local regulations and requirements must be satisfied as well for these symptomatic players. So that's going to be a regionalized aspect of this. If a player 
tests negative and is asymptomatic, but has been in close contact with an infected individual, there's a whole new set of rules. For players that fall under that category, they can't return until they have the second negative test within 24 hours of the initial negative test. So basically, they have to wait two days. So they didn't contract this, but say they were hanging around Matt Stafford or something along those lines, they're still going to need to test negative twice. And then they're going to need to monitor their symptoms, and they're going to need eight days of daily virus testing. So you could see how much kind of work goes into this. And we've seen a lot of players kind of come down with this. I mean, the Minnesota Vikings had a bunch of players, including Anthony Barr, rookie Justin Jefferson go on this list, linebacker Cameron Smith. The Patriots had a bunch of people opt out, Patrick Chun, Brandon Bolden, Marcus Cannon, Dan Vitale, Dante Hightower. There's a lot of players kind of just either making the choice to not play football in 2020, like Nate Solder did. Nate Solder's a cancer survivor. Nate Solder's son is battling cancer. It's a very wise decision to opt out. Damari Scott just opted out, another Giants wide receiver. David Sills, a Giants wide receiver, who went to West Virginia, young player. He got put on the reserve COVID list. So a lot of players are kind of coming down with the coronavirus. And they have to go through all these protocols right now that we just went over. For asymptomatic players, symptomatic players, and even for people who were in close contact, yet tested negative. So this is happening before... The games are even being played. They're in training camp right now, going through these protocols and kind of trying to get acclimated to that. And we're seeing all this happen. Now that obviously raises a level of concern. Because you got teams like Minnesota and then Detroit Lions who have Stafford, Kenny Galladay, TJ Hawkinson, Amani Orowarie. They all jumped onto this reserve COVID list among other players. And we currently see what's going on with the MLB. It doesn't look good. The NBA doesn't seem to have this issue. They bubbled up in Orlando. So, theoretically, it's like a cordon. No one goes in. No one comes out. So the virus shouldn't find its way in there. But it would be very difficult to do that in the NFL. Not just because the roster sizes are exponentially bigger. But in the NFL, it's such a violent game. Injuries happen all the time. Street free agents are a huge part of the game. So how are you going to bring in someone off the street if they have to get tested and go through quarantine, if they have to play that Sunday? So there's a lot of issues with that. And some teams are definitely being hit harder than others at the moment. But we're seeing this, and it's going to be one of those things where you should analyze it day by day because it's it's definitely concerning for the sport. But we'll see how it materializes, see where the country is in one month. Throughout that one month, I'd analyze it day by day. And outside of everything going on with COVID, we have the Jamal Adams trade. You had the NFL's top 100, which is where the players vote on <laughs> on who the best player is. So it's cool because it's the players list. Lamar Jackson came in number one. People were making a stink because it wasn't Pat Mahomes. People's argument is that Pat Mahomes has Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill and Andy Reid and Lamar Jackson. I think he has I think Lamar Jackson's in a very advantageous spot with Greg Roman, with that offensive line, with that rushing attack, coaches who know how to utilize his skill set. But for me, Lamar, love him. Think he's so exciting. But to crown him number one, he hasn't won a playoff game yet. Hasn't shown 
the ability to consistently come back when he has when he's down in the fourth quarter. You know, a little dubious, to be honest. But I look at Pat Mahomes, I look at Russ Wilson, all the love in the world. Aaron Donald up in there, dominant interior defensive lineman. I think Lamar Jackson is an amazing player. Number one, that's uh that's crazy. But you know what? That goes to show you that people really value the uh the athletic ability of the quarterback position. And we've seen how amazing of a skill set Lamar is and how dangerous he is to have to be the fastest player on the field at the quarterback position. Reminiscent of Michael Vick. Really is. And he's in an excellent spot with Harborough and that coaching staff and that team and that defense. So he's somebody, it's going to be fun to evaluate the AFC and look at the longevity of quarterbacks like Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and then we'll see if other players like Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold kind of make their way up there, these young quarterbacks, this new influx of younger quarterbacks as the guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Drew Brees retire or get old. The changing of the guard. Seems like the, the game is in a good spot with these young quarterbacks. And since this is a Giants podcast, there was only one New York Giant on the list, and that was Saquon Barkley. He came in 31st. And if he didn't have an injury-riddled season, I'm sure it would have been better, and I'm expecting it to be a lot better next year. Let's just hope that the New York Giants are able to put other players on that list. Maybe they can go back to what it was in 2017 when Odell was on the list, Landon Collins was on the list, Janoris Jenkins was on the list, Snacks was on the list. That's a lot for the New York Giants of recent years because the New York Giants of recent years haven't been, you know, all that great, I guess you could say. But the 2011 Giants had three and they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So take that list. Take that. And those three were Justin Tuck, Entrell Roll, and Chris Snee. None of them broke the top 59. So something to be said for that as well. Anyways, I really want to thank you guys for tuning into the first episode of Falato on Football. Your one-stop shop for in-depth NFL analysis, elaboration of X's and O's, and, of course, some fun as well. At least I hope. So have a lovely day, afternoon, or night, and stay safe. And remember, Falato's Fantasy Corner on Friday. If you're into fantasy football, come check us out right here on the Big Blue View podcast stream. Ta-ta now.